Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you receive our praise. We thank you that worship given from the heart is received with open arms in heaven. And now, Father, as we've gathered around your throne in worship, just speak to us. Speak to us through the words of your Son, the ones he actually uttered while he was on the earth. And Father, open our minds and our hearts by the ministry of your Holy Spirit, whom you've sent to to be with us every second of the day. And as a result, Father, may our lives be changed by the living word of God. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, as we continue in this sermon series called Red Letter Living, I would focus your attention upon some of the best known and yet least understood and perhaps most misapplied words Jesus ever spoke. Now, here they are. As soon as we look at them, you you agree with the first part. They are some of the most well-known, and here they are. Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few. Find it. Those, my friends, as I already said, though some of the most known are perhaps the least understood and some of the most misapplied words that Jesus ever spoke. Now, this morning I want to share with you as we begin two what I'm calling common misapplications. Now, as I do so, I just thought a moment ago, I I feel a little bit like Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount. You know, when Jesus said on six different occasions, you have heard it said, but I say to you. With these things we begin with today, we're going to be in that category, perhaps, where the way I say it, you're going to say, well, I've heard that. I've heard that, and and where I, as your pastor, might be in the position of saying, now you've heard this said, I've heard this said, but today, I say to you. So if some of the things I start out saying sound really, really good, just hold hold yourself. Don't applaud. They may be some of the ways we've always heard it, and of course it sounds good. But there may be something, maybe some of those things are part of what I'm calling a misapplication of the scripture. So are you ready to get into that and just see what we're doing? You'll probably get it right off the bat. I mean, you'll say, that's not right, that's not right. Well, here we go. Two common misapplications. One is a contemporary one. You'll find it everywhere today. It's very common and it's very current. 
It's an application that would kind of break down this teaching of Jesus about the narrow road when we're thinking about what makes it narrow. What is the narrow road? Am I on the narrow road or am I not? People might say, my belief narrows the road. You see, there's two roads in this world. There's those who believe in Jesus. That's one road, the people walking that. And then there's those who don't belong to Jesus, don't believe in him. That's the broad way. So if I believe in Jesus, I'm on the narrow road. My belief narrows my road for me. Now, these words of Jesus that we just read are frequently used, of course, to drive home that point. The point that Jesus is the only way one can be saved. It's a narrow gate that leads to that narrow road. And the truth of it is, the name on that gate is Jesus Christ. And the possibility of forgiveness of sins, the possibility of eternal life in heaven is found in him alone. That gate that leads to life has his name on it. And so these words of his are narrowed down in our minds to refer to that salvation experience alone. And so there'd be plenty who would say today, those who confess him properly are definitely on the narrow road. This application would be buttressed by these red-letter words that Jesus himself testified. He said, I am the gate. See, so we don't even have to imagine his name on it or figure out. He said, that's true. The gate, the narrow gate, it's me. I am the gate for the sheep, John 10, 7. So many would say today, pass through the gate which is Jesus, and bingo, you're on the narrow road. Like Peter would say some years later when called in for questioning by the Jewish leaders. Peter said, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the only way, right? Right. Right. His name's on the gate. I am the gate that opens up to the narrow way. Now, the thing that puts me on the narrow way, folks would say, many of them today, is simply accepting Christ, believing in Jesus. That does set me apart from all the unbelievers, no question about that. But that's, that's what the narrow road is all about. The narrow road is made up of those who have accepted Christ as their Savior, and that's what distinguishes them from everyone else. And the fact that Jesus Christ is an exclusive Savior, that road is narrowed down to Jesus alone and to those who have confessed faith in him. So the key confession with that application of these verses would be this. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is my Savior. I've passed through the small gate, the narrow gate, and I'm walking on the narrow road because 
I confess that Jesus is indeed the only one. Now all that sounds right, doesn't it? It is right. It's absolutely correct. If you disagree with that, I got a problem with you. But if that's all that a person professes, if that's all they feel they need to profess, if they feel that's how they get on the narrow road that leads to life, then their life will have an interesting format. It'd be almost like they came through the narrow gate, which is Jesus. They've accepted Christ as their Savior. They've confessed their sins. They've been forgiven of their sins because God is faithful. And they come through the narrow gate, and you know what? They sit down. Because they only see the road as being about six feet long. And on the other end of the road is another gate. It's the gate to heaven. So they come through this gate, which is the gate of salvation. And right smack in front of them is another gate called entrance into heaven which will come when they die or the Lord returns. So there really isn't any walking to have to do. You just get through the gate and you sit down and wait. Now, while you're waiting, years go by. You got to live. You got to make a living. You got to do things. You got to entertain yourself. You've got to be part of this world because you are in this world and and so, really, understanding that the narrow way is simply confessing Christ as your Savior, as the only Savior, then the rest of your life isn't much impacted by that because you've taken care of what Jesus... You're on the narrow road. Now you've got decisions to make. And frequently, the lives that people like that live are almost indistinguishable from the lives of the unbelievers around them. Because the thing that distinguishes them is, I'm a believer and they're not. They're on the broad way going to hell. I'm on the narrow way that ends up in heaven. And it's our faith that makes the difference. And actually, for many of them, our faith makes the only difference. We go to the same places, we do the same things, we talk the same way, we watch the same shows, we, we entertain ourselves in the same ways, we look at life the same way, we vote the same way, we're appealed to by the same arguments. There's really no difference between those who imagine themselves on the narrow way and those that are on the broad way except this belief in Jesus. That's the only thing different. And there are many today who would confess that to be true. That's the main difference between Christians and non-Christians. It's our faith in Christ. And besides being the main, it's the only difference. It's the only difference for many. And there are any number of professing Christians today that you could sit down and talk to and they would tell you that's exactly how it is. 
They know they're living just the way everybody else lives. But if push comes to shove, and they might even feel you're kind of thinking they're living sinfully, they might grudgingly say, well, I know some Christians don't believe in this kind of life or don't believe I should do this or do that. But the point of it is I'm saved. I know I'm saved. And if they were going to use this language, they say, at least I know I'm on the narrow way. I'm on the narrow road. I believe in Christ, and that sets me apart from all the rest of the world. And they might even say, remember when Jesus talked about that? He said, enter in at the narrow gate, and then he said, he is the gate. I've accepted him as my Savior, so I am a living example of what Jesus says should be done. And didn't he say the narrow way leads to life? Well, what is life? It's heaven. Man, I can't wait for it. This life's a mess, and sometimes my own living in it is kind of messy, but I'm through the gate, and I'm awaiting the next gate, which is eternal life. And at least, at least, it's like, I'm delighted to know I'm saved. And there could be even some leaders speaking for Christ who might almost let people... uh, feel very comfortable in that position. And to say, after all, the difference between us and them is our faith in Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, that's one common view. That's that What Jesus is talking about here is getting people saved. Getting them through that narrow gate and getting them onto that narrow path, which is only peopled by those who have faith in Christ. So naturally, it doesn't have to be very wide because there aren't very many of them. And at the end of time, they'll be in heaven forever and ever. They say, that's what Jesus was talking about. Well, as I said, that's kind of a more recent view. A contemporary one. And I consider it to be a completely missed application of the passage. Now, let me share with you another uh, misinterpretation maybe in the category of you have heard it said. I'm calling this an ancient one. An ancient one says my behavior is what narrows my road. Back in the olden days, anybody under 15 would feel comfortable saying in the ancient times. (laughs) Maybe even under 30. Back in the olden days when I was growing up, the narrow road, when this passage was dealt with in church or in any Christian setting, the narrow road Jesus spoke of was understood to be a lifestyle. A lifestyle that significantly narrowed the choices that a person could make in their life. It was a lifestyle that definitely distinguished believers from the unbelievers around them. You had unbelievers doing a whole bunch of stuff, and then you had Christians over here doing none of that stuff. And sometimes the discussions between the believers and the unbelievers, if they're two teenagers at school, this one would be saying, how come you don't? But the point is... He could see that this one didn't do something that he or she did. There was a distinguishing lifestyle. 
it was characterized by a well-defined list of do's and don'ts. A key verse that would be used a lot. All of us who grew up in that setting certainly had this verse memorized. It's 2 Corinthians 6.17, and Paul says, quoting in the Old Testament, Come out from them and be separate. See? Be distinguishable. Don't be confused with them, whoever they are. Come out from them and be separate. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, says God. That's the application of that passage I grew up with. The narrow road, buddy, is narrow. And on there, there's a whole bunch of stuff. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's not on there. My brother and I had many, many interesting experiences as we grew up together, went through high school together, did a variety, they shared a bedroom together until he went to the Marine Corps. Him walking aggressively down the broad way and, and me walking down the narrow way and sharing our lives together, going to football practice together, riding on his motorcycle together, dating girls together, is interesting. Now, he took advantage of me when we graduated from motorcycles to an incredibly beautiful, fast 1956 Ford two-door you know, V8 that uh, could get up to 100 just like that. And when we stayed out just a little bit too long and we, it was going to be hard to get back by curfew time, we knew if we were going to get back, drive the speed limit, we'd really be late. But if you really nailed it, you'd be a little bit late. And parents always let you slip by with a little bit late. They didn't ask you what it took to get here just a little bit late. And so we would go across country roads and it'd be late at night, of course, at our curfew. I'd be in the front seat, I could lean against the window and that car had little flaps, you know, that opened up and you could hear the wind go by. I could tell by the sound of the wind when we hit a hundred. You just tell it. Aha, we're going to make it tonight. And I just relaxed. It was Keith. He was an expert. And Keith was relaxed. Do you know why? Because Mark's in the car. He said it more than once. God wouldn't let anything happen to us as long as Mark is in the car. So we got the narrow walker and we got the broad walker kind of making each other, uh, what? Able to continue on. So we do that. Come out from them and be separate. Touch no unclean thing. A lot of stuff you just, it's not part of my life. I'm a Christian. I'm sorry, I can't do that. I'm a Christian. Linda and I attended a college where those do's and don'ts were immortalized in a college code of behavior called the Pledge. We were all considered to be travelers on the narrow road together. Our commitment to those behavioral standards proved it. A Wheaton College will not do this, will not do that, will not do something else. And there's a, a list of at least nine or ten key things that we as Wheaton College students do not do because we're walkers on the narrow way. We are Christians. We're followers of Jesus Christ. 
And the very fact that we would sign such an agreement would testify that we, in fact, are on the narrow road. Now, problems with that. Such attachment of Jesus' words to specific American cultural experiences, things Americans did that we as Christians would say we don't do, but they're uniquely American things, they all tended to take those words in a rather legalistic direction. It frequently wound up being a hypocritical one as well. For while things like smoking and drinking were prohibited, things like gluttony and slothfulness and even prejudicial attitudes were not. One irony that was never pointed out by the rule makers and by the scorekeepers was that Jesus violated some of those rules himself. Jesus drank wine. Jesus was accused at times of being a wine bibber, <laughs> whatever that means. I think it's a guy who has more than just an occasional drink. Jesus associated with the undesirables of society, and he enjoyed social events with them. Jesus, may my mother rest in peace. She will never hear me say this, I believe. Um, Jesus probably danced. <laughs> Jesus probably danced at the wedding ceremony that he and his mother attended where he actually assisted in the wine drinking by turning large urns of water into wine. You realize by American legalistic standards, Jesus wasn't even on the narrow road himself. Jesus would not have qualified to be a Wheaton College student. More than being merely ironic, it's outrageous. It's pathetic. Surely that was not what Jesus was talking about in this passage, any more than he was talking about living a life that merely professed faith and then was lived completely indistinguishably from the unbelievers around. He wasn't talking about either of those two options. People who apply his words in either one of those ways is definitely missing the point. That's what I've come to be convinced of. So what was he talking about? What is this road like no other that we should be walking on? If it's not the do-whatever-you-want road, the don't-worry-about-it-you're-saved road, and if it's not the legalistic play-by-the-rule-book-designed-by-men road, then what is it? We need to know because Jesus commanded us, he directed us to do something. And if we're going to follow his directive, we have to answer the question I just raised. Because here's what he said, remember? He said, enter. Enter through the narrow gate. That's something we got to do. He didn't just say, you are on the... He said, enter. So there's a decision to be made. But if I'm going to enter something, i got to know, what am I entering? And how do I know if I have? 
Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And he's saying, enter that one. Enter through that small gate. Put your feet on that narrow road. So really, what is it? What is it? And how are we to apply these red-letter words of his to our lives today? But this is where I could give his quote, you've heard it said. We've heard both of those other things said. I wouldn't ask you to raise your hands. How many of you were raised in that legalistic uh, Christians don't and Christians do and that's how we know who's one and who's the other? We separate ourselves from the unbelievers by the length of our hair at times, by the clothes we wear, by the things we don't do. So there's no problem being distinguished. The question is, are we being authentic? Is this what Jesus meant? Make sure your hair is not over your ears. There was a time that was certainly the case. And whatever it might be. So here's what I want to share with you. I'm taking... The gumption, as my mother would say, to call it a spirit-inspired application. I believe this is what Jesus meant. I believe this is certainly what the Holy Spirit has stirred in my heart as a way to express it. A spirit-inspired application of these words. And here we go. The narrow gate is indeed the person of Jesus Christ. He is the only way. He is the only one. And that gate has his name on it. I am the gate to the sheep, Jesus said. So until a person comes to Christ, recognizes Jesus Christ as the Son of God, recognizes that Jesus Christ came to earth and and lived a perfect life and died on the cross in your place, paying for your sins, and you cry out to him and say, Lord, save me. And you pray to the Father and ask that he might forgive you of your sins because you're trusting in Jesus as your Savior. Until that happens, until the Holy Spirit then is given to you and stirs and creates a new life in you, you have not passed through that gate. It doesn't matter if you can answer biblical questions accurately. It doesn't matter if, if you kind of are trying to live the best you can. Until you've committed, confessed Christ, and committed yourself to him, you or I have not entered in. And only you and I and God know if you have. Only we know about our own selves. But the narrow gate is indeed the person of Christ. Secondly, the narrow road is the life demonstrated by Christ. It's not just six feet long. It's not, I get saved and wait for heaven. The narrow road is a lifelong road and journey. And it is the very life that's demonstrated by Jesus Christ. And thirdly then, that narrow road, it's the very life that the Spirit of God would develop in us. 
So it is distinctive. Jesus stuck out from the whole world. His love, his compassion, his goodness, his grace, his perfection in living. All these things. There's only one ever like him. Until he sent the Holy Spirit. With the idea that the Holy Spirit would turn millions of people and make them like him. And so all of a sudden this narrow road is filled with generations, centuries, with thousands and tens of thousands of people who have confessed their faith in Christ, given their lives to Christ, received the Spirit of God from Christ, and are becoming like Christ more and more and more. And the ones on the Broadway increasingly say, I never met anybody like that. I've never met anybody like that. Just like they said about Jesus. Now that application leads to today's key concept. This is a concept that, that strikes at the face of the legalistic concept. The legalistic concept is all about removing from your life stuff that doesn't belong there. And you might say, you get saved and your life gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Teenagers can say to their parents for years, and they have, being a Christian is no fun at all. Why would I want to be a Christian? Can't do this, can't do that. Everything that seems like fun, I can't do. It's a, and that kind of view of the narrow road just makes that road smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until if you're on it, you kind of hope God would just call you home. Because there's not much joy in life. How sad is that? When Jesus lived life like nobody else ever lived life. When people around him were delighted to be around him. It never seemed like he was narrowed down to just a, a minuscule little example of humanity. He was perfect humanity. So here's what we want to say. The narrow way not only leads to life... It teems with life. Probably haven't heard that word in a while. Teams. It means here, it's overflowing with. It's abundant. It's abounding. It's beyond certainly the mere necessities. It just, it, it's like put two rabbits in a cage and wait a while and, and the cage is teeming with rabbits. Overflowing with rabbits. The life of Christ, this narrow way, it not only leads to life eventually, it is life. It teems with life. Everything that makes life worth living is on that narrow way. That's what I want us to think about and rejoice in and go home rejoicing about this morning. You see, there is a life on the other side of the narrow gate that the unbeliever knows nothing about but that he would give everything to have. Remember, this directive of Jesus came at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It was a full afternoon of instruction given early in Jesus' ministry. You might say in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reviewed the entire curriculum that he would be sharing with people for the next three years. Jesus had begun that afternoon's teaching repeating the word, blessed, blessed. 
over and over again. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are you. Ble Nine times. He's talking about the way to be blessed. The way to enjoy the fullness of life. I like to call it enjoying the full benefit of being a child of God. Live a blessed life. That's not a restricted life. That's not a narrow life as far as the, the, the fullness of it. But you see, that blessed life was nothing like the life that most of the people were living that heard Jesus say those words. It was a shocking picture he drew for them. Read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and just remind yourself again this afternoon, there were some almost inconceivable elements of this life he shared with them. It was much later when they finally realized the life he was sharing with them, explaining to them, was the very life he was living in front of them. They were stunned. They were overwhelmed, but they were strangely drawn toward it. They could sense the wonder and the satisfaction that such a life could bring. So here now, at the conclusion of that afternoon's teaching, Jesus says, enter into it. We've been talking about it all afternoon. The glories of kingdom living, the glories of, of being this kind of person, not that kind of person, and, and just how marvelous that would be. He then says at the end of the afternoon, he's almost done at this point, he says, enter into it. Enter into the fullness of the blessing. Enter through that narrow gate with my name on it and begin to enjoy the fullness of life that lies right on the other side of it. And start living it. Start living it. The life that lies on the other side of the narrow gate. That's what Jesus came to demonstrate to man and to make possible for man. And it all begins. It all begins by entering through the narrow gate and putting your feet on the narrow road. So the question today, of course, always comes up, have you done that? Have you done that? There might be some of you here who have such a view of that uh, narrow road being the restrictive, no-fun life that, that you've kind of held it at arm's length. You said, yeah, I believe in Jesus. You're kind of with that first group of people. You say, I'm on the I believe in Jesus. That puts me on the narrow road, right? I mean, that gets me ready for heaven, right? Has nothing to do with how I'm living. I mean, I can't earn God's favor. I know that. So, but I confess Christ. I believe in Christ. He's my Savior. I've asked him to be my Savior. But from what I've seen in the Christian life, it's like there's got to be more to life than that. And so then as you read the scripture, you'd have to admit, I, I spend a lot of time walking on the Broadway too. I'm not sure how I'm on both, but it's like I am. See, my comment to you is, you've never seen, and you certainly have never experienced, genuine Christian life. You've never really got on the narrow way that is just chock full of life. And I urge you to do so. By God's grace to do so. 
forget about the list of do's and don'ts. God will lead you. The Spirit will lead you in what's appropriate and what's not appropriate for you. But forget about saying, I don't care how I'm living. At least I know I'm saved. Because, boy, that's pretty bogus. I wouldn't want to put my stock in that. When you stand before God and he evaluates your life at the end of time to say, yeah, I know, I live pretty rotten. You know, can't really tell me from the unbelievers, but at least I'm saved. I know that. Right? <laughs> and if he paused even for a moment, I would, want not, I would not want you or me to go through the agony of that pause where he says, well, yeah. You can come on in. We got a place for you way, way down here at the bottom rung. Or he might say, no, you're not. You mouthed a few words one day, and I heard you do it, but I could see your heart when you did that. And you know, I never sent new life into you. Because you you didn't actually want new life. You just wanted protection from a bad circumstance. See, don't be there. Don't, don't buy that misapplication that says, if I just confess Christ as my Savior, that puts me on the narrow road, and the narrow road, Jesus said, leads to life. And that's all I need to know. That's wrong. Or at least it's risky. But here, here Jesus is saying, you know, come through the gate, confess him as Savior, and yield your life to him as your Lord. And then say, from now on, Lord, whatever your words say, I'm going to obey. However your spirit directs me, I'm going to follow. I'm going to let him guide me and lead me. And I believe that this road you have me on is just, and use the word, is just teeming with life. This morning, I thought we we might just share a few of those things that, that are on the narrow Road just to, just to remind you or just to inform you. Some of these things, these are things that are only found on the narrow road. They cannot be found in the world. These are things that come to those who are blessed, who yield their lives to Christ and allow him to just bring life to them by his spirit. But here's a few. We'll go through them quickly. Number one, Joy in life. Remember I said, on the narrow road are the things that the unbeliever most desperately wants, but cannot find where he or she is. Here's one of the first. Joy in life can only be found on the narrow way. Peter says, 1 Peter 1.8, Though you have not seen him, that means Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Why? For you are receiving... Now notice here, Peter doesn't say the forgiveness of your sins. He says, for you are receiving the goal of your faith. It's like, what is God's purpose in putting faith into me in the first place? He says, you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Human beings have messed up souls. Human beings have rebellious souls. 
Human beings, apart from the grace of God, have confused souls. They have wounded souls. They have childhood experiences that put do damage to their soul, their innermost being, leave scars on them. And they need to be healed from that if they can. They, they need to get back to wholeness, but there's no way that they can get back there apart from Jesus Christ, who is the great physician. And Peter's talking to believers who are on that narrow road, and he says, but there's joy in you. And there's joy in you because you right now are in the process of receiving salvation for your soul. For your soul. You're, you see, to use the language of the unbelieving world around us, there is joy in becoming a better and better person. Don't raise your hand, of course. But how many of you would like to be better than you are right now? The world knows that. The world knows they're flawed. The world knows they're less than what they want to be. And so there is joy when you finally can say, hey, I'm getting a little better here. The world knows that. Indeed, there is joy in that. The problem is no one on the broad road can really experience it Truly, because the broad road has no solution to the lostness, the sickness of the soul. The brokenness of life and the frustration of forever being our own worst enemy. The broad way has no solution for that. There is no one over here who can bring healing to your soul. There are counselors who help you through the pain, get you talking through it, and as soon as you kind of feel like you have a grip on one thing, something else goes wrong. You know what the problem with humans are? Or is? They're human. And no matter where you go, there you are. There are people even changing their gender, thinking my problem is this maleness thing I'm stuck with. My problem is this female thing I'm stuck with. And you know what the problem really is? It's the humanness they're stuck with. And you can change the outside. You can do all kinds of things. But the soul can't get transferred into a a new... You take your own soul with you no matter how you change yourself. It's the humanness. And humanly speaking, souls are damaged. They're lost. They're broken. Until God comes in and begins the process of healing them, saving them, renewing them, there's no possibility of ever knowing the joy of just seeing positive, effective, long-lasting, soul-satisfying change. But on the narrow road, man, you can run headlong into that joy frequently. Frequently. You can leave church knowing you're you're just kind of somewhat changed a bit from when you came in, and there's joy in that. Secondly, peace through life. Peace throughout the the circumstances of life can only be found on the narrow way. Paul said in Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
On the other hand, the prophet Isaiah, long centuries ago, wrote these words, There is no peace for the wicked. For those apart from God, for those who are not trusting in God and allowing the Spirit of God to guide them, change them, empower them, encourage them, peace never comes. Oh, there's moments. There's moments But life on the broad road is lived in turmoil and stress. And even that which might be called peace is only superficial and temporary. See, those on the narrow road, anytime they need to, they can look right back, right back at the gate, and there is standing the one who says, my peace I give to you. It's available forever. And the spirit of Christ who walks with us is able to develop the fruit of peace right within us. It can only be found on the narrow way. I'm at peace. I have peace. Third thing, purpose for life can only be found on the narrow way. Paul says... Romans 8.28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God has a plan. Today, we say he's mysteriously purposeful. There's real purpose. In the world, how the walkers on the broad way fall all over themselves trying to find their purpose find their place in this vast universe. They tell themselves, they try to convince themselves that everything happens for a reason. But since they seldom, if ever, discover what that reason is, they really can't find any comfort in the midst of their troubles. Last thing, hope after life. Hope after life can be found only on the narrow way. Writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. An anchor for the soul. Secure and firm. It's a hope like no other. I'll tell you how incredibly blessed are those who know that beyond a shadow of a doubt there's a glorious life awaiting them on the other side of death. A life lived in fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit, and with all those who've walked the narrow way through this earthly life. Frequently, we sing this song, the song that says, there is a hope that stands the test of time, that lifts our eyes beyond the beckoning grave. And they confess along with the Apostle Paul, we do not sorrow even in times of death, like those who have no hope. The narrow way is full of hope, full of purpose, full of peace, full of joy. It's not really narrow when you get right down to it. And so here we come to our final thought. When is the narrow road the broadest road of all? When it's the road leading into the fullness of God's blessings. Indeed, it's a road like no other. Our Heavenly Father, we've tried to walk the road here today. 
we know by experience it's not a short road. It, it begins the day of our salvation and it ends when we take our last breath. And it's a road that is teeming with life. The life of Christ. The life of the kingdom. The life that, that is produced by the Holy Spirit himself. A life of joy and peace and purpose and hope and all these things. Father, I pray if there's anybody in this room today who has not really got both feet on the narrow way, that they might jump through that gate. They might jump through that gate. They may realize it's not enough just to say, I believe in Jesus. That does not bring them life in this world. That does not bring them joy. That does not bring them peace or purpose or hope. In fact, the only hope they have is to say, I hope that's enough. I hope that's enough to save me. I pray to prayer. I ask Jesus to be my Savior. And Father, there's a big part of me that honestly believes that's enough because of your great love. But what a shame to confess Christ as Savior, to ask the Father to forgive us of our sins, to go through that gate having found it, discovered it, and want to, to enter it, to enter it, and then just sit down and miss the life and live in misery. Father, that is not your will. So I pray that every one of us, wherever we are, however much distance we've traveled from that narrow gate, that, that this moment we might be more sure of what's under our feet than we ever have been before. And Father, if we've fallen prey to this notion that the, the narrow way is narrow because most of the stuff of life has been removed from it, and we're just living like dirges going on our way to the end. Oh, Father, remove that. Remove that. Father, open our eyes to realize this narrow road is narrow because all the sinfulness of this world is removed from it, but all the delights of the kingdom of God are, are within it and can be accessed on it. So, Father, may... May the fullness of the life of Christ be discovered more and more and more by each of us until we sing ourselves along that road joyfully and confidently. I ask this now in Jesus' name, he who first walked it before us. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.